Hello, hello, welcome to the podcast. It's me, Al, almost as ever. I, I, I missed you, didn't I? I missed you last week. So this is the first podcast of the new year. Happy New Year! Happy New Year. And um, do you know, i tell you why I missed it last week. Um, it's unforgivable, this. Well, it's not. It's a small crime. <laughs> yeah, the reason why. Do you know, over Christmas, you just lose sight of your days and you don't know what day it is that's what happened to me so last Sunday I, I wakes up and I th- I just didn't have anything to do I didn't realize it was Sunday and I had one of those days where I was awake but in bed for a while I must just lay there for about an hour and a half just like reading or or just snuggling in you know and then I suddenly thought oh bloody hell I haven't done the podcast it's Sunday I haven't done the podcast and then I had to go out well I didn't have to go out I got to go out. It's a reframe, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I got to go out because I was actually seeing friends that day. I went over to uh, West Kirby, West Kirby, which has been the uh, the scene of 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 two family dramas um, <laughs> in recent history. First of all, when my dad was a little boy, you know, he got drowned in West Kirby because he walked out to Hilbury Island, and then the the tide come in, and uh, of course he was caught. He was caught. And uh, all the water came in, as water tends to do, and it was getting deeper and deeper and higher and higher up to his neck. And then he, he he's blanked it out, so he doesn't remember, but um, somebody winched him clear anyway. And then when I was a little boy, um, I was splashing in the puddles at West Kirby, and I, I jumped into one puddle, only to find it wasn't a puddle, it was like a pool. It was like a big pool of deep water, and I I still remember now the... the um, the sight of being underwater because I didn't shut my eyes because I didn't I wasn't expecting for one moment that I'd be underwater in the next second. I thought I'd be hitting terra firma. There'd be a nice friendly splash around me Wellingtons, and uh, no, I was I was underwater and and then someone someone scooped me out and I had cut knees and some woman went and got me sugary tea, which was the first time I I understood that sugary tea was a thing. You know, for shock, I was only four. So yeah, so I, I managed to uh, go to West Kirby without incident. So that's good, isn't it? I'm 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 here to tell the tale of my jaunt to West Kirby. So by the time I realised last Sunday that I should have been doing a podcast, well, I had to go out. Well, I got to go out. So um, so and and by the time I got back, like we were out for a good five hours or whatever. I was knackered then. You know, I'm getting on, aren't I? <laughs> so uh yeah i just put my feet up then and i thought it'll be all right it'll be all right we'll do, i'll do it next week they'll understand the listeners will understand both of them <laughs> but i tell you what i tell you what's happened which is i had a little nosy um you remember last time i didn't have any comments today in the last show nobody nobody replied to me and uh so I gave you a load of angst <laughs> at the end of the last show, um, end of the last year, in fact. And uh, I've got, I've just looked because I didn't want to be put in that embarrassing situation where I realise on air that nobody, nobody wants me. And of course, of course, it's Bill Ball. It's Bill Ball. Now I was thinking of just getting Bill's number and uh, abandon the podcast and I'd just give him a ring of a Sunday morning <laughs> and we'd have a chat. <laughs> but, but, I, I'm abandoning that idea because it's not just Bill who's commented, it's it's Helen as well. Helen Maddock has, has commented. So, I know there's at least two listeners. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I, t- I tell you what, why don't we go into the comments? Because that's uh, that's good, isn't it? Or shall I save them for the middle of the show? What if I forget though? Because I'm I'm quite forgetful, you know. So I might. I wonder. If, I tell you what, I'll write it down. I'll put a big star next to it. Because I'm thinking that if it might be a nice break in the show, mightn't it, to go for comments? You know, structurally, if we go for comments in the middle of the show rather than the beginning, it'll kind of break up my nonsense. With, with your nonsense. <laughs> Except I'm sure yours isn't nonsense like mine is. So, uh, yeah, I'll do the comments in the middle. But thanks, Bill. Thanks, Helen. Um, so what did I have to tell you about? I don't know what I'm telling you. Well, I, I went to my psychotherapy course yesterday. 
And I've completed my first observation. Now, you have to do two observations where you give therapy um, while somebody's watching. And uh, I tell you what, that's nerve-wracking. Um, and, and I passed it. One of the feedbacks, though, was... Um, what did it say? It wasn't straight in your face. That's something my mother would say. <laughs> it was basically... Um, He's basically saying, make your face look a little bit less anxious, you know, um, soften your face, that was it. And he said, um, your face did, to be fair, soften for the second half of the session. And I was like, well, that was nervous, you know, you're looking at me, stop looking at me. <laughs> so by the time I got used to them looking at me and kind of tuned him out and just, it was just me and the, the other person, I think my face did soften. But that that was... That that's a by the by. I I I got loads of good feedback, and I've passed my first observation. So I'm one observation away from being fit to practice, which is then what allows me to go into a 100 hour placement. And then at the end of the 100 hours placement, once I've got all the um, additional training as well, which is well probably about 15 months, I'll then be um, a qualified counsellor as well as a coach. So, uh, so yeah, a little bit of progress made there, I think. And I've been uh, jogging this morning, so my jogging's still doing well. I'm up to two and three quarter miles now. So I've been on this couch to 5K, which is like a nine-week running program. And now I'm up to two and three quarter miles. And I tell you what, it doesn't half do me good because my body feels better. Do you know that thing where, <laughs> where you exercise? And so in the aftermath of exercise, you feel these muscles that you can't see. But because you can feel them, in your mind's eye, you're completely ripped then. You know, you, you, <laughs> you're totally muscle-bound. Like, at the moment, I can feel my stomach muscles because I've had the run. So in my mind, my mind thinks that I've got a six-pack. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't got a six-pack at all, but my mind thinks I have in this moment. So... That feels nice, and I can feel like um, the muscles in my thighs. So, like in my mind's eye, I've got Arnold Schwarzenegger's thighs. So that's all right, isn't it? In my mind's eye. Now, obviously, if I if I were to get naked in front of a mirror, then the mirror would tell a different tale. But I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm not planning on doing that. When does anyone really do that? Maybe like um, as an incidental thing after a shower. But we don't tend to do that, do we? Just, I know, I'll take all my clothes off and stand in front of a mirror. So, my mind's eye is where I'm seeing myself most often. And after a run, I am ripped. <laughs> so, yeah, so it has that. So, I can, feel, I can feel my body in a kind of nice, slightly achy way. Um, but also, it just makes me feel good. You know, there's like an endorphin release. And it sets you up for the day, I think, having a run. So I'm up to two and three quarter miles now. Um, and of course, I've got to run about 3.1 miles for a 5K. And the reason I'm doing all this craziness is, well, first of all, I, I wanted to, to make some sort of change and, and get fitter. So it's partly that. And to help me do that, I wanted to uh, make myself accountable in a way that helps a cause that I believe in. So what I've done is I've decided to run for Asylum Link. So um, let's see where we are actually on this. This will be exciting. So there's now, what date is today? Right, as I'm recording this, it's the 14th of January and my run for Asylum Link is on Saturday the 10th of February. So there's about three weeks left, isn't there? About three weeks left. So if you go to parisongs.co.uk forward slash 5k, like the number five, the letter K, click the link through and you'll get to my uh, Just Giving page. And where are we? 42%. So I'm trying to raise 200 quid for a sign link. I've only raised 85, which is, is, is good. But we need a bit of a, a jump here. So I need to start publicising this again on my Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. Because Asylum Links is like a really good cause, you know, asylum seekers are getting battered all the time, aren't they, by the media, um, sometimes literally, you know, it's it's not always a welcoming place. And so anything that you can give uh, for this sponsored run that ends up in helping people at Asylum Link, 
then uh, it's going to be a counter to that, isn't it? It's just a small way of saying um, to people who are being um, who are using Asylum Link that you're actually welcome here. And so that that's a big part of it, I think. It's not just about the money, although that really helps um, them do the work that they do. It's about just sending that little gesture of, you know, you're welcome and, and here's just something that I wanted to do to help you feel welcome. So if you want to get involved in that and, and let's get us that extra 115 quid to uh, hit the 200 pound target, then you can. You just go to parisongs.co.uk forward slash 5k and it'll give you the link there to to kind of uh, to kind of get over there and, uh, and, and help out if you possibly can. So that's going well. I'm now in week eight of my nine week training program. So this is the first run of week eight. I know it sounds a little bit weird that I'm doing my, my first run of the week on a Sunday, which is like the final day of the week normally in most people's minds. Although you see them on those calendars, don't you? Do you ever see those? Cal- I think they're posh calendars. I think maybe posh people start their week on a Sunday. That's my theory. <laughs> but you do see calendars and they start with a Sunday as the first day of the week. I always think that's odd. That throws me. Monday's the first day of the week, isn't it? And then you have your weekend. That's why it's called a weekend, isn't it? And Sunday, I've just proven the, I've just proven it, poshos. Sunday is the last day, not the first day of the week, because it's part of the weekend. There you go. I rest my case. <laughs> oh, music. Music is happening. Uh, I wrote to um, my email list, basically saying, where are you? Um, and then people told me roughly where they are, whether they were like local to where I live or like within an hour away, within two hours away and so on. And so those who are kind of like local or within two hours, I've initially written to to say that I'm looking to tour again. So I'm looking to do some shows in, in 2018 um, or 2018. And um, yeah, and I'm always fan powered, you see. I don't have an agent with a, a big fat cigar and a plush office in London. You're my agent, so when I want to do gigs, I gig or not gig based on whether you want to kind of drag me along somewhere. So I've done house gigs and micro gigs um, in, in, in tiny little spaces, in big spaces, community centres, the back room of a pub. Um, I did a micro brewery, uh, which was lovely. So if you want me to play, the only way, I, I, the only way you'll ever get me to play is if you ask me to, because I don't really have an involvement with the music industry per se, so they're not asking me to. So all of my gigs come from, from you. So if you'd like to book me for anything or a house gig or, you know, if, you, if you've if you not done it before even and you just want to explore it, drop me a line. You know where to reach me. I'm at al at parrysongs.co.uk. Or if you're part of an organisation that might want me to come over and, uh, and give you a, a full show, then that would be good too. I bring all my own equipment, by the way, um, unless it's a massive room. But for most rooms, um, I'll be bringing my own equipment. So it's it's dead easy, really. You just need to provide the space and uh, drag some of your mates along and, and it can happen. So get in touch with us about that because I'd, I'd like to be doing that. Um, and I'm back in the studio tomorrow. Woohoo! So Monday and Tuesday, I will be back in the studio. I spent some time in the studio uh, recently just getting all the kind of instrumentation for the next track I'm going to record. And so what, what I really need to do next is get me vocals down, which is always scary, you know. It, it's always like, God, these are going to be, this is like the forever stuff. So it always feels scary to kind of uh, get the vocals down because I always want the vocals to be right. And uh, get me guitar down as well and any other bits and bobs. And then it just comes down to arranging the track, really listening to it back, mixing it. So I've given myself two days to finish this track that I'm hoping to release. Well, I'm not hoping to release. I'm, I'm, I'm committing to release <clears throat> a little bit later on this month because I have um, VIPs who subscribe to my band camp. Now, band camp is just a place where musicians go. And so what you can actually do is I run like a membership thing there. And it's only like, what, it's three pounds, three pounds a month. And it just helps me with the bills that inevitably come along from uh, from making music. So what, it's about 70p a week. 
So if you're interested in getting stuff, you know, rather than waiting for the album, you get kind of the song as it's released and all sorts of other good stuff. Um, you can go to Alan Parry, that's A-L-U-N, obviously, <laughs> alanparry.bandcamp, B-A-N-D-camp.com. So that's alanparry.bandcamp.com. And I think when you go there, let's go there now. Let's go there now. Clickety-click. Yeah, when you go there, yeah, it says, it says, instantly get everything I make and then some. And then you can, you can sign up. Yeah, you can sign up. So, yeah, if you want to help out, do. If you want to wait for the album, that's good as well. But I'm back in the studio tomorrow, which is exciting for me because I've not been uh, doing vocal work now for quite a while, really, apart from them two gigs in September where I did a little test. But I'm all right now. I'm all right. So I'll be back in the studio tomorrow. Um what else has been happening? I've been having a massive declutter in, in my front room because uh, I just wasn't organised. I'm not naturally an, uh, a kind of... I'm not naturally a good person at organising paper. So I got my act together. I went up to uh, Home and Bargain, as we still call it in Liverpool. Home and Bargain. Everyone calls it Home Bargains. Um, but in Liverpool, which I think is where the company started, we still insist in calling it Home and Bargain. <laughs> There you go, stubborn lot. <laughs> so I went there and I got some magazine files. Um, and I've, I've bought some folders like document wallets. And it's, I've, I've, I've done a declutter and it's all nice and organised now. So when I do my improv stuff, I just go to that magazine file. When I do my coaching, I just get the right folder for that person out of the coaching file. And it's great, you know. And I do my non-violent communication. It goes out of that one, me... Me, uh, me, kind of therapy course goes out of another, and and it's it's yeah, it's working a treat. And in doing so, I realised I had a pile of do you know those really thick A4 notebooks? I had like about six or seven, and uh, I've been going through. I haven't, I haven't gone through them all, but it's got all my scribblings in. You know. It, <laughs> It's it's basically the writings of a madman, really, <laughs> as you look through. Um, and you can see all my plans in there and thoughts and, and sometimes song lyrics and, and stuff like that. And uh, I've still got a, a couple to go through. And in each one, I found something useful, you know, that's triggered something. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's that's something I'd like to look at again. Or that's a good idea. Or that's a, that's a good way of thinking about this problem or whatever. So it's been useful just going through them. There's a lot of crap in it as well, obviously, that should just be thrown away. But one thing I did find, I did stand-up comedy. I think it was about four years ago now. And I did, I did one stand-up comedy gig. And, and, God, it was the most... <laughs> It was the most um, scary thing I've ever done as a performer because there's no hiding place. You know, people can't fake a laugh. You know, if a, if a song isn't very good and they don't like it, they'll still clap because people are fundamentally nice. But stand-up comedy, I mean, you, you're basically trying to trigger an explosion in people, an explosion of air from people. And that's hard to fake, isn't it, really? So you, it has to work. And the gig, the gig itself went really really well and uh but even so i haven't done it since because i just thought i had a banging headache all day and i thought <laughs> you know if it, if i'm being chucklesome at a gig and it's not going very well i've got a great exit i just start the bloody song but when you're up there for like 10 to 15 minutes just you and the things that you thought were funny <laughs> you just got no escape um so yeah i didn't do it again but I did find little bits of um I did find <laughs> I did find little bits of my uh, my act um you know as I was developing it and coming up with ideas uh, I, I was the act was basically about how I hate jobs um so it was some sort of uh yeah it was a it was kind of a very workerist rant <laughs> but apparently a funny one because people were laughing and clapping and stuff but as part of my kind of exercise for starting to write stuff. Um, I mean, most of it was like you expect. It's kind of story-based stuff or observations or whatever. But just to get my muscle up, I remember doing this. I <laughs> I started just playing with words. So this wasn't part of my act. If it was, it would have been... Uh, 
It would have been terrible. But I, 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 I'm going to share these. These are like my. These were like um, before I started writing um, the actual stuff. Just a way to get my comedy muscle. Um, I decided to do a load of jokes where it was like he's so stupid that he thinks this. You know that kind of structure. You can apply it to anyone you like. You can even apply it to the stable genius in your life. <laughs> oh, that did make me laugh. You know, and everyone was questioning <laughs> whether he was just an impulsive child, Donald Trump. And he, <laughs> I saw the headline in the paper, and it was something like, Trump reassures on, men, on, on, on whatever it said, um, on mental capacity, um, by stating that he was a, <laughs> he was a genius. <laughs> and it's just the kind of thing a six-year-old... It's kind of endearing, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah, so you can you can apply this to um, to the stable genius in in your life, Donald. Uh, but anyone, it's just it's just a, an old joke formula. Like he's, he's so stupid that he thinks this kind of thing. Um, funnily enough, on the Donald Trump, there's a writer, and he he's come out really as a Trump supporter, which is a bit of a shame because I do like his. A lot of his writings and his his ideas. He's it's a guy named um, he's a guy named Scott Adams, and his book How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big, I think is probably a book that I recommend to people an awful lot. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that book, um, and he's a cartoonist. He's the guy who did Dilbert, uh, but he's also a hypnotist, and <clears throat> unfortunately, as I say, he's he's kind of. Uh, He's come out as a Trump supporter, which is is uh, is a shame. But he actually did predict Trump because he said he's a master persuader of, um, given that he's a hypnotist himself, he was spotting these, he was basically saying that Trump is essentially hypnotising everybody. And even like, it sounded so ridiculous to, to call himself a genius. And I was laughing my head off when I first heard it. But then I saw Scott Adams' take on it, because I, I still follow his take on it, even though he's actually a Trump supporter now. I still follow his take on it from the kind of master persuader point of view, from the, you know, through a hypnotist lens. He gives this sort of alternative way of looking at what Trump is up to. And what he said was that what Trump has actually done from a hypnotist point of view is that he has ensured that for the next month or so, Everybody associates the word genius with Donald Trump. And when you think about it, he kind of has, hasn't he? Because uh, if I were to say to you, now, just take a moment of silence. Just take a moment of silence. And don't think. While your mind, while your mind is blank, don't think of an elephant. I'm sure you've just thought of an elephant because that's how the mind works. You have to see the thing in order to negate it. So if I say don't see a don't see a hippopotamus on roller skates, that's probably what you've just seen. So in the same way, what Scott Adams is saying is that even when we're saying Trump is not a genius, we're associating geniusness, if that's a word, with Donald Trump, and that actually what he's done. Is a, is a hypnotist move. So I, I kind of hope that isn't true. But you never know, do you? That might be true. What do you think? Do you think that sounds like... Uh, do you think that sounds like something that he's done? He was the only guy to predict that Trump would win the election. I'm, I'm talking about, like, you know, nearly two years hence because he was saying, this is the best persuader that I've ever seen. Now, when he says the best persuader, he's talking in terms of using language in such a way that um, manipulates it in, 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 in a way that it becomes hugely influential and we don't even realise it. So anyway, I'm getting away from the jokes. I was supposed to tell you some jokes, so here we go. <laughs> the thing is, because I was thinking he's so stupid that he thinks this, that made me think of Donald Trump as well. So maybe at the moment I'm countering Donald Trump's hypnosis with anti-Donald Trump hypnosis of my own. Anyway, here's, here's, here's the things I wrote down. So I was reading these and I started laughing and I thought, I'll share these with you. So um, he's so stupid. <laughs> he's so stupid that he thinks broadband is an internet service for fat musicians. <laughs> broadband. 
He thinks it's an internet service for fat musicians. Let's see what else we've got. I found them funny. I don't know if you find these funny. I won't know. I'm getting no feedback. Let's see. What else have we got? Um, yeah, he's so stupid that he thinks senile is the view over an Egyptian river. It's not as good, that one, is it? I was laughing more at these the other day. <laughs> Even, yeah, he thinks... He thinks alpha. He thinks the alphabet is when you gamble on Scrabble. <laughs> he thinks a ba- He thinks a backpack is. I wasn't doing these kind of gags at all. I didn't really do gags, but <laughs> these are the, this is my mental exercise. He thinks a backpack is a spinal injuries kit made by IKEA. <laughs> he thinks a barbecue is a line of hairdressers. <laughs> barbecue. Um, What's this? He thinks a butterfly is a zip that's easy to operate. They're terrible, actually, aren't they? Do you know, I was laughing my head off at these the other day. I was thinking, I'll share these. You'll like these. But they're terrible, aren't they? Let, let's let's keep going anyway. <laughs> um, He thinks floodlight. He thinks a flood... <laughs> my delivery's not the best, I have to say. Hey, this is what happens after a jog, though, as well. You mind, because I've not had any food. So, so far, I've expended 407 calories in total. And so that's what I'm on today. I'm on minus 407 calories. So I haven't eaten yet. I think my brain is beginning. So my delivery's terrible. Uh, where, where was I? Just done butterfly, haven't I? Uh, a, a zip that's easy to operate. So, uh, well, yeah, he thinks a floodlight is a tsunami with less calories. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks a, he thinks a horoscope <laughs> he thinks a horoscope is a device for hearing Frankenstein's heartbeat <laughs> oh dear that's it that's it honest to god I was oh yeah I've got more over here I, I thought I'd more he thinks a milkshake is an epileptic cow <laughs> uh, he thinks parachute is when you're suspicious about guns <laughs> Parachute. <laughs> Let's see what have we got. I, I like this one. This is silly. He thinks pillow is. Oh, that got a p, didn't it? Do you hear that popping sound? He thinks pillow. <laughs> do you know? I don't help. Do I? I don't help the rhythm by interrupting. Let's get to get back into it. So he thinks milkshake is an ep- epileptic cow. He thinks pillow is how beds greet each other. <laughs> pillow, pillow, <laughs> pillow. <laughs> Pillow. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> he thinks a vampire is a Transylvanian cricket referee. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. I won't inflict any more. So they're me jokes. They're me jokes. I'm here all week. Yeah. So my comedy act wasn't like that at all. It was com- It was just conversational. It was just having a natter. Um, Stuff about work that you hate and recognise. But uh, <laughs> I found them and thought, and, do you know what? I must have been in a good mood, because I thought they were hilarious the other day. <laughs> I've started writing a diary. I've never done that before. Now, my mate Gabby, she's been writing a diary now for, I think she said 42 years. And, uh, yeah, that's a discipline, isn't it? I think her grandmother used to write... A diary before her, and I think she inherited her grandmother's diaries. Um, what a great social document they, that would be! But Gabby's as well, you know. Um, she says she looks in it sometimes, you know, when she looks back at, at great moments of history to find out, you know, what her reflections were. And she says she's often disappointed to find that she's made no reference to it whatsoever, and instead, her diary references something like had spaghetti for tea, you know, or something like that. <laughs> but uh, I started writing a diary, but with a difference. And uh, where did I hear this from? I heard this on a podcast. Someone someone talked about the one the one-line diary or something like that. Well, mine isn't quite that, but I've got this app. Everything's an app now, isn't it, with me? And it's called Daygram, D-A-Y-G-R-A-M. And I think I might have even paid for this. I don't know. I might have paid a couple of quid. It's not expensive even if it's not free because it's just an app. It's just a couple of quid. And basically what it allows you to do, Daygram, is you just put a small message in each day. 
And what I'm doing is I'm documenting what's going well. So, you know, I'm into this kind of solution focused stuff. And I think looking at what's going well is really helpful. And it makes me anyway feel more resourceful when I think of what's going well. So, um, you know, like on the second, I've opened it now. Well, actually, no, on the first day, because I missed the first day and then had to remember it the day after. So on the 1st of January, I did some music in my studio. That's the stuff I mentioned before, where I was getting all the the uh, the instrumentation sorted for the track I'm doing tomorrow. Um, I won some money betting on the 1st of January. I had a little bet on a footy and won. Um, I found a telly show that I liked. Um, that was 12 rated, so I knew it wasn't going to have all gore and horrible stuff in. Um, yeah, I emailed someone I wanted to make contact with, an organisation I wanted to make contact with. I've, you know, I booked a couple of coaching sessions in with a client. Um, yeah, so all these things that go well, I stick them in, and it's just a nice way of appreciating the good stuff rather than forgetting it. So, uh, so that's what I'm doing now. Um, I'll let you know how that goes, but I've been doing it every day, you know, since the start of the year. And as I say, it's the 14th day. I haven't done, I haven't done an entry today, but so today I'll put, well, I run two and three quarter miles. Um, yeah. So, so does that, do any of you keep a diary and does it help? And do you keep a diary, um, just to kind of journal or do you keep a diary like I'm doing with some sort of kind of constraint to it. Now, I have to say, I had a horrible day on one of the days. What were the days? Let's see. Oh, on Monday. Monday, I woke up, and I had a plan for the day, and I just didn't want to do it. I did not want to do it. I just felt completely demotivated, and I had one of those days where I just kind of did nothing. And uh, so that went in the diary. I didn't really have anything that went well on the Monday. I probably did if I'd pushed myself. I mean, I stayed alive. I had food. I had shelter. Um, so I, I could have actually found some gratitude there. But yeah, it's not. It's just about finding stuff that's gone well. And of course, it won't always. But most of the time, we have something to find. So if you keep a diary, let me know what your experience is of it. Because I'm new to it. And uh, I'm two weeks in now. And I quite like it, really, just having that little log of the good stuff. I think what it does as well, it, it forces the good stuff to land a little bit longer than it otherwise would. Because I have this tendency where good stuff happens, to, oh, I shake it off, you know. I have a little shake and it's, you know, I, I don't particularly let it land and then sink in and become a part of me. I think that's something that I need to work on. And so what this helps me do, I think, is because I'm having to stay with it a bit longer and put the entry in the diary and I'll look back on it again, it helps that good stuff just land. And if it lands, it's got a better chance of sinking in. And also there's a whole host of studies which say that when you focus on the good stuff and the appreciation, um, not only does it make yourself feel more resourceful because you'll see what you've done, but also you just feel better. And it switches your radar on for the good stuff as well, you know, rather than for the miserable stuff. You you find what you're looking for, don't you, a lot of the time. Like, I've said this before, I hate spiders, so I, I have a special lookout for the things, you know. And so I see more spiders than the average person. So, yeah, I've started a diary. Let me know if you've got one as well or, or if you're inspired to start one. Um, as I say, Daygram is a nice way of just doing it on your phone rather than having a book. Um, what else has been going on? Freedom Rider, my um, well, it's the name of my last album, but it's also the 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 tra- tr- name of a song on the album. But that track, Freedom Rider, um, has been named by Joe Solo. You'll probably know Joe Solo if you don't check him out. He's a he's a musician, but he's also a broadcaster as well. Um, he does like a music show in his part of the world, kind of Scarborough way, and uh, he done a. a his prestigious list of best tracks of 2017 and Freedom Rider by me was on it. So I was really pleased about that. It's funny, actually, I was watching an interview um, last night because, uh, what's his name? David Letterman has, has kind of come back with his new show on Netflix and his first guest, I tell you what, he looks interesting now, David Letterman. He's got a big kind of biblical beard. <laughs> so like, I didn't recognise him at first. 
And uh, his first guest was Barack Obama. Um, you know, because Dave Letterman had left his show, Barack Obama has left the presidency. And Barack Obama was actually talking about the Freedom Riders because they were talking about the, the march over Selma and all that sort of stuff. And he was talking about how he he was carried forward by the Freedom Riders. And it was just a, a lovely thing to hear, really, given that I had written about the Freedom Riders um, and that I'd named my last album after them. It felt like a, a nice little kind of thing to hear. Uh, in that interview. Um, yeah, what else have I been doing? Um, but, but I tell you what I have done. I, no, I was talking about my um, my end of year review. Well, I've turned that into something. I've done something where I've done like a 90-day plan. You know, like a lot of people have a yearly plan um, at the end of a review. So what am I going to do in 2018? I always think that that's... Um, that's not as effective as because it's too far away, isn't it? You know, you don't have to really have to do anything until November if you don't want to. So what I tend to do is is follow the practice of having a ninety day year. So I, I I'll plan three months in advance because then you're deadlined and the deadline is relatively short, and I think it makes you more realistic in terms of what's achievable as well. So I've actually done a ninety day. Like, what do I want to achieve? What will have happened? by April the 7th, what are the goals, what are the tasks that I want to do, what are the practices I want incorporating um, by that time, and one of them, incidentally, is about losing weight, and I got on the scales this morning before me shower after me run, and I've actually lost, you no, know, since I was sick, you remember I was sick and I put a bit of weight on while I was sick, um, I've actually lost just under £12, which is like Let's see. Yeah, just under, is it? I'm trying to do the maths now. I told you my brain's... I'm, I'm normally pretty good with maths. Let's see. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to revert to technology. So I'm going to turn on the calculator. I'm going to put my old weight in. I'm going to subtract my new weight. 11.7 pounds is what I've, what I've lost now, I've lost that in... Let's see, when did I start? Bear with me. Bear with me. When did I start this, this diety thing? It must have been November. I think I made it... Yes, November the 15th. And it's now December the 14th. So in two months, I've lost... What did I say? 11.7 pounds. So that's 2.3 pounds off a stone, isn't it? In two months... So what my target is by April the 7th is to actually weigh like 192 pounds. So in other words, I want to lose another nine point, is it? I can't do maths anymore. Yeah, another nine pounds or so. Nine, yeah, say 10 pounds from here and I'll be, I'll be happy. I'll have met it by April the 7th. So um, yeah, what do you think about that idea, doing a 90-day plan? I've, I've done it in the past, and I find it's really effective. And then on April the 7th, I'll do another little review of what's going well in each of those areas. And then I'll plan again for the next 90 days. And uh, I always find it makes me more productive and more effective that way. I found that a lot of stuff's going well in health, but what's not going well is sleep. And so I'm going uh, to try and tweak that and, and start getting better sleep. But one of the strategies for doing that is I've started meditating and I listened to a guy named Dan Harris. Is it Dan Harris? It is Dan Harris. He's like a news anchor from America, but he's also um, what he calls a fidgety meditator. So he got into meditation and mindfulness because he actually had a panic attack live on air. So he's reading the news. Imagine this. You sat there, you're watching the newsreader and live on air. He's catching his breath and he can't catch his breath and he starts going red and he has a full-on panic attack in front of the nation. And uh, that led him into mindfulness and meditation practices. And he's put this thing together called... Uh, he's actually got a book called 10% Happier. But he's got an app as well. And initially it's free. I don't know how much they charge after the free bit. But I've been going through the free bit because he's got this um, really good meditation teacher called Joseph something or other. And uh, I've got the app. And the, the meditations are short. 
So do you know, like, you always get these people who are like, you've got to go and sit on a hill and there's got to be absolute silence and, and you take an hour out and all that sort of malarkey. That's hard to get into, isn't it? But the meditation that they're doing is like, I think the first one was a minute. You know, so you do a minute and I'm up to like five minutes now. And so it feels really achievable. And of course, meditation has loads and loads of benefits. Like there's health benefits. It lowers blood pressure. So, um, you know, and it also, um, it lowers cortisol and cortisol is a really, a really big factor as well, isn't it? In terms of all sorts of health stuff. Um, yeah, so that's what I've been doing with the 10% Happier app. So it's free to download. You can try it yourself. I really like it. It's video based as well. But of course, once the meditation starts, you don't need to look at it anymore. It's just, it just comes up with like a, a title of that meditation. But I've been finding it really, a really accessible way to get into it. And I've been reading Eckhart Tolle as well, you know, The Power of Now. So I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of open to this mindset of observing your thoughts. And one of the nice things that they, they said about meditation is, you see, the whole point when you're meditating is you focus on something like your breath. And the idea is to get to a place of no mind. But of course, your mind likes to wander. And so whenever you catch your um, mind wandering, that's not a failure, that's actually a victory. It's like you congratulate yourself for catching it and then you bring yourself back to the breath and then you simply just begin again. And I've been trying to do this through life as well because what Eckhart Tolle was talking about is that we're often ruminating about what might happen in the future or ruminating about what happened in the past. And whenever we do that, we're just missing the now, but pretty much in this moment, we're okay. And uh, so he's kind of teaching me to observe my thoughts and realize that if I can observe my thoughts, then me and my mind must be two def different things. There must be the me that watches the mind and, the, and then there's the mind, which is something different. And rather than having that over-identification with the mind, which we all do, to view it as separate and just observe the thoughts. And when we see them going into chatter mode, then we can bring it back to something in, in, in the now, you know, whether that be our breathing or whether it be a, a picture that we're looking at or, you know, whatever it happens to be. I had a lovely day shopping. I went shopping doing my weekly shop and there were things there that might have irritated me without this process, but because I was in, in the moment and I was drawing myself away from my chatter, I was just sort of, okay, shut up chatter and come back again, like a gentle mental note into standing there again and just being in the queue and not worrying that the person was taking an age and you know the kind of things that normally rankle they just didn't because I wasn't waiting anymore I was just being in that moment waiting is a state of mind isn't it a state of mind that's focused on getting to the next moment quicker whereas we're never really waiting without that state of mind we're just being and enjoying that moment. So whenever my chatter kicked in, I was trying to bring it back down again and just focus on the breath, recognizing that that's just mental chatter. Because the mind is useful, but it's useful as a tool. It's like a hammer, isn't it? You know, when you need a hammer, you go to the toolbox and you select a hammer, and that's good. But you don't want the hammer to have an autonomous life and it's just going around hammering things whenever it gets, whenever it fancies. And yet that's what we do with the mind, isn't it? We don't have the mind as something that's really useful for us to select, to use. The mind is just on one. The mind is uh, the mind's racing around like a, like, an, an, you know, like a wild chimpanzee, you know, causing all sorts of havoc. So this kind of approach of meditation is a practice that helps you to kind of do the same begin again kind of uh, principle in your daily open eyes life as well. So when you're in that point and you hear the chatter, you catch it again and congratulate yourself and bring it back to the moment and begin again. And so that's what I've been, uh, that's what I've been trying to do. And I've, I've found that a really nice way of doing it, the 10% happy. And I've tried other things in the past, like Headspace app and stuff. I just like this way of doing it. I like the little theoretical moment that's beforehand because this Dan Harris, he interviews um, the meditation teacher. And so you just get this little pearl of insight that helps you know why you're doing this and I think it 
it's better that way. And then you've just got this short little meditation and it's just easy to do it every day. So, so far I've been doing that every day and I'm going to carry that on until it's not free and then I'll, I'll see what happens from there. So I think that's, uh, I think that's pretty much me done, but I'm not going to forget. You thought I'd forgotten, didn't you? You were sat there thinking, but Al, what about the comments? What about the comments, Al? You said you'd read the comments. Well, here's the lesson. If you put a big star and two arrows next to the word comments, even I don't forget. So this is actually, this is actually from, uh, from Bill on the 1st of January. So uh, sorry it's taken a while, Bill, to get back, but I forgot it was Sunday. <laughs> I forgot it was Sunday. Um, yeah, so Bill says, Happy New Year, Al. Hope that 2018 is your most successful year yet. Well, thanks, Bill, and the same to you. He says, I agree that the honest system is a joke, a pat on the head from the ruling class. Isn't it? <laughs> I agree with that. On the loneliness thing, he says, I can't see it being tackled without restructuring society as a whole. Do you know what? I I, I, I really do kind of uh, agree with that. I think this is like a societal thing because I was talking about loneliness last time because on the 31st of this month, I'm, I'm opening up, um, like I'm, I'm doing like a short presentation to open up a, a discussion workshop. It's open to the public, so you can come along if you want. It's called Café Psychologique. And it's at the Dockers Place, the Casa on Hope Street downstairs, a half six on the 31st of this month. And I'll be kicking off a discussion on loneliness, the silence epidemic. And so I was talking about that in the last show. And as Bill said, it's a societal thing. We're, we're organised now, I think. So I agree with you, Bill. I think we're organised in this kind of disconnected um, way. And I think in some ways the car has, has, has been part of that because we no longer live and breathe in our communities. We kind of, this is just our base, isn't it? The community that we're in is just our base. And then we drive off and do, you know, you, you see people of a morning and they, they come out of their little box that they call their home and then they get in another box, which they call their car, and then they drive off to some distant geographical location and everyone's doing this and then everyone at the end of the day returns to the box <laughs> opens their front door closes the door and sits inside the box until next morning or um if they go out somewhere they're not going to meet people within their community they're going to meet people from another community and they will gather say in the city center or some meeting place where people will leave their box, get in their car box, drive into this central meeting place where all these people from who live in different communities from each other can momentarily gather for like a couple of hours while they have a cup of tea or a chat or a dance or whatever it is they do. And then they all return again to their respective boxes in different communities from each other. So communities are no longer places where we live. They're... They're just kind of platforms. They're just jumping off places. It's just a place for us to sit in a boxing while we're waiting to while we're waiting for the life to happen. You know what I mean? So um, I remember I did a um, I did a film called My Fifties Liverpool, and I interviewed um, people in a, a residential home in Liverpool, up in Walton, and they were telling me what it was like in the fifties. Now. It was clear then that in the fifties, these 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 people I was talking to, they were they were telling me about. They all worked in the local factory. Like I think there were two factories. One was Dunlops and one was another one that I can't remember. And they they all worked in one of them, and uh, they all lived amongst each other. They all drank in the same boozer. You know there there were all sorts of there was a social club I think from their work. And they all went to, you know, they just all lived together. Their community was a place where everyone lived together. They went to the local shops. They would see each other. So this is how life was for them. And when I compare the stories that they tell and the experience that they tell, or even the experience of me in the 70s, really, you know, I was born in the 70s. 
So, um, you know, going up to the shops with my mum, we'd see neighbours, we'd have a chat. We'd see the shopkeeper, we'd have a chat. Now when I go shopping, I, I leave my house box, I get into my car box, I drive into the supermarket box, and I walk around, I gather my stuff myself off the shelf without a word to anybody. And then I go to either the till or the self... If I go to the self-help checkout, which I never do because I don't want to work for whatever bloody supermarket it is. I want them to employ people for that. Um, so I always go to a person just to be stubborn. <laughs> and it's easier. And then I have, like, the the tiniest, most transactional conversation with the person. And it's always like... Um, £24.38, please. Here you go. Do you have a club card? Do you know, this is it. It's all purely functional, um, alienated ways of talking to each other. And that's the only conversation I'll have, um, which is so different to when my mum went shopping when I was a kid. She'd see people up the, walking up the road because she was shopping in her own community. It's like nothing really happens in our own community anymore. And I think that sets us up to be lonely because... There's no place to kind of... You know, like our fellas when I was a kid, they they, they could get up and go to the pub, couldn't they? And, um, and and if they were lonely, some someone would be there, wouldn't they? Someone would be there that they kind of know. All right, Alf, how you doing? You know, all that kind of stuff. We just don't have anything. Community is just a place for us to land and regenerate until we go elsewhere. And the elsewhere is really where we live our lives, I think, for many of us anyway. So anyway, I've just interrupted your thing there, Bill. But I'm agreeing with you. I think there is a, a societal thing. And also, you know, where, where the... F Historically, you know, our, our era, if you like, even the last hundred years, it's just a blip in, in, you know, it's just a heartbeat in terms of human history overall. And and this, this heartbeat of relatively recent history, we're the first humans who don't live in tribes, you know, where we live in isolation and... Um, yeah, so I think it is, I think society does play a big part. So Bill carries on and says, loneliness is about isolation. A housebound pensioner is isolated because he or she has no family nearby and relies on the carer service, both for practical help and an emotional connection to the outside world. And budget cuts mean that's being eroded. When we lose our jobs, we're isolated. When we sign on, we're isolated. There's no longer even the community of the dole queue. That's an interesting point, Bill. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't even thought of that. Um, all initiatives on loneliness are to be welcomed, but I can't help but feel that even the best efforts will be tinkering at the edges of the problem. Yeah, because that's another thing, isn't it? Like, I'm a freelancer. So when I think of my life, um, I know a lot of people, but even though I know a lot of people, I have a lot of loneliness in my life as well because I spend a lot of alone time. I'm a freelancer, so I'm not going into work every day and seeing my workmates. I don't have that kind of uh, social connection. So a lot of the time when I'm working, obviously if I'm coaching people, it's different. So when I get a coaching client, but anyone who's freelance knows that a lot of the time you're spending, work, you're spending time working to try and get clients. And so a lot of this is kind of solo work and... Yeah, so uh, even if I'm not on the dole, work is becoming, you know, so atomized itself as more and more of us are working in isolated ways. You know, like, even like, you know, Amazon delivery drivers and all that sort of stuff. So I think work is becoming increasingly atomized as well. It's certainly not everyone goes to this big factory like in the 50s. And I'm sure that had its problems as well in terms of alienation, but it didn't bring the kind of lack of connection um, that we seem set up. And it also backs up, actually, that people are much more likely to be lonely and depressed in cities than they are in villages. Like, the smaller the, the, the population where you live, the happier the people are. And I wonder whether it's because there's just less anonymity there, that there's more connection. So that's that's interesting, that, Bill. Thanks for that. I, I, I tend to agree. And at the same time, though, why aren't we as people trying to build structures independently of the system, if you like, to try and ensure that we have that connection? Because loads of us are lonely 
And it's not just a housebound pensioner. Loads of us are lonely. Loads of us are vulnerable in terms of trying to make connection. What can we do despite the system, you know, to ensure that just your street is a community? Like in my street, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm as culpable as anybody here. In my street, I don't really know people. I know the next door neighbour. I know the next door neighbour the other way. Not well, but to say hello to and... You know, I know that I know what teams they support, etc. After saying that, I don't know I don't know one of the person's names who lives next door, which is odd, isn't it? And I know the people opposite to nod to and I don't know their names. Um and I know that there's a guy down the street who tried to beat me up in the street about two weeks ago because when I was getting in my car and fiddling with my car uh, at midnight he thought I was nicking it, so he he, he was doing the good neighbour bit. Um, so now I know him because he he was on the verge of hitting me, um, <laughs> but yeah, there's even in my street there's there's people I just don't know people, I don't know people at all, and uh, and they don't know me. So uh, what can we do ourselves? You know, there's an issue in terms of society there is, but then again there's 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 agency that we have, and I don't know what that is, but um, it interests me about you know in a street full of people. Why Why are there lonely people? You know, why are we waiting for a carer service, for instance, in order for someone not to feel isolated? Because I think if I was dependent on a carer service, I'd still feel isolated. You know, we all want to be part of a tribe. We all want to belong. It's hardwired into us evolutionarily. So what can we do to meet that basic need in us? And I suppose that's a question that I don't know the answer to. And that even though I agree that society needs to change in order to facilitate connection, I also think that we have a probably have a role to play in that as well, rather than just waiting for the people at the top to change things. And I don't mean that I don't just mean by getting involved in political action either. I mean just by doing something directly that would build connection. Like what could I do? And it might be vulnerable, it might put me out there, and it might make me look at Divi. But what could I do to generate more connection with the people in my social circle or the people in my street, for instance, to try and help turn just my street or even just the 10 houses around me into a mini community? What can you do? Any ideas on a postcard to al at parisongs.co.uk? Now, Helen has been in touch as well. And Helen Maddox, she got in touch because I was moaning about TV, you know, how it's all blood and gore. And Blue Planet, she said, is TV at its finest. Interesting you say that, Helen, because it's on my watch list. I've added Blue Planet, so I'll give it a watch. I'm guessing it's like an underwater documentary if I'm thinking of the same one. Um, But yeah, I did see, I saw a little clip of it on Gogglebox, actually, and it looked dead interesting. It looked quite peaceful as well quite meditative. I imagine it'd be quite nice to, to watch. Yeah, I'm going to do that, Helen. Thanks for that. I'm going to watch Blue Planet. I'd, I'd watch listed it, but I was never getting round to it. But I'm going to I'm going to watch that. I think I like that. And she follows up, actually, talking about Bill's, the little conversation going on. She says, I was really heartened to see Bill Ball's comments about social isolation and his clear insight I've frequently heard people express little interest or compassion as they consider it to be caused by the lonely person's personality or lack of it. Do you know what, Helen? I think that's such a, an insightful point. And and the problem is, I think that that stigma around loneliness, to admit that you feel lonely, is almost like that you're telling the world that you're deficient in some way. That's how it feels, doesn't it? So it's quite a vulnerable thing to say. I'm lonely because of that. And because it's vulnerable to say I'm lonely and reach out and and try and do something about that, it stops us from, it gets in our way of of making the change that perhaps we need. So I think that's really insightful, actually, that it can often be considered as the lonely person's lack of personality, um, which, of course, isn't the case. And, And Helen goes on and says, some people are naturally introverted, that's true, and struggle socially due to shyness, deafness, disability, and the limitations it can impose. Some people leave their home peer groups for foreign climes 
or simply move away to work. Yeah, so again, insightful points. A lot of the time, people wisely separate from friends who choose the dark path. She says, your interview with John Lash made me wonder who his friends are now, as prison release is often subject to clauses and promises to stay away from known criminals. Well, John has built an amazing life since being released from jail. Actually, he's the he's the director of the Georgia Conflict Center, and they just do amazing work, and John is at the heart of that. So I'm guessing, I don't know, but I'm guessing he's got a really strong community around him who are also involved in trying to create a world without violence, which is what John's mission is. Um, she says, people in certain occupations are as welcome as a corpse at a funeral <laughs> and work solo with little contact from others in their profession. Yeah, I mean, I work freelance, so I understand that. Um <laughs> I'm just chuckling there at the phrase as welcome as a corpse at a funeral I'm just imagining a funeral where there isn't a corpse <laughs> I'm imagining everyone saying where's the corpse where's the corpse um, yeah but I know what you're saying <laughs> and as a freelancer I experienced that um, parents die children leave home which is all as it should be but can leave those behind socially isolated and lonely yeah I'm, I'm, there's so much research on this Um around friendship and and how to create friends it's kind of a skill that unless you've kind of um locked in friendship at a very early age it's difficult isn't it so i'm going to be i'm really grateful bill and helen for your comments on that because it's going to shape the little talk that i give on the 31st of january um when it comes to doing this uh, little discussion group on loneliness the silence epidemic so thanks for getting in touch i always like your feedback for no other reason, well, not for no other reason, I'm trying to say it, even if for no other reason, then it shows me that someone's listening. Because <laughs> I could just be talking to myself here, you know. <laughs> and and sometimes, you know, it, it's it's a podcast, so you don't necessarily know whether you are or not. But, um, yeah, thanks very much for getting in touch. And I think that's basically the, uh, the end of the show. It's been a long one. It's been over an hour. Well, thanks for sticking with me if you have. And if you haven't, you won't hear me thanking you anyway. So thanks for sticking with me. And uh, I'll hopefully see you next week, if I remember it's Sunday. And until next time, leave your comments at parrysongs.co.uk or stick them on the website at parrysongs.co.uk. And I'll see you next Sunday, hopefully. Tatty bye! Here's a song of the week. If Harry don't go, then I don't go If Harry don't go, then I don't go If Harry don't go, then I don't go The docks were at a standstill If Harry don't go, then I don't go If Harry don't go, then I don't go If Harry don't go, then I don't go The ducks were at a standstill If Harry don't go, then I don't go If Harry don't go, then I don't go If Harry don't go, then I don't go The ducks were at a standstill his mother was a virus stock, his dad and granddad worked the dock To hear him speak the men would flock, Harry was no traitor Every docker filled with pride when they had Harry on their side In London or in Merseyside, no honour could be greater the bosses grew into a sweat This Harry is an awful threat When you're hiding, don't forget Leave Harry in the pen If Harry don't go, then I don't go If Harry don't go, then I don't go If Harry don't go, then I don't go The docks were at a standstill They were smart in how they fought They waited first until the port Was crammed with cargo to import Then demanded Harry Did you think we'd go ahead And take your coin and bow our head Cause you rob our brother of his bread You better bring back Harry and The bosses knew they must agree The game was up and they could see There's no beating unity All because they said
If Harry don't go, then I don't go. If Harry don't go, then I don't go. If Harry don't go, then I don't go. The docks were at a standstill. If Harry don't go, then I don't go. If Harry don't go, then I don't go. If Harry don't go, then I don't go. The docks were at a standstill. Bosses knew they must agree that game was up and they could see There's no beating unity and all because they said If Harry don't go then I don't go If Harry don't go then I don't go If Harry don't go then I don't go The docks were at a standstill If Harry don't go then I don't go If Harry don't go then I don't go If Harry don't go then I don't go the docks were at a standstill